We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire NBA show on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Nick Whalen here, as always, with Alex Barutha. You can go to rotowire.com slash dash, D-A-S-H. That'll get you a free 10 days of access to our site. Alex, as usual, a ton to get to. We're recording late Tuesday night. There's about three minutes left in game three of Lakers Rockets. So we'll be keeping an eye on that game. And we'll hit on that uh, later in the episode. But uh, you and I both watched the official demise of the Milwaukee Bucks as as the Miami Heat ended that series in five games earlier tonight. We'll hit on that. Uh, we'll get into the other active series right now. Um, kind of a look ahead to to maybe what the Bucks are facing and what Giannis is facing in his decision making process uh, this offseason. But first of all, a few news items uh, that you threw in, in our agenda. Um, all defense teams were announced as the NBA can continues. It's just kind of like random rollout of awards uh, over these <laughs> last few weeks. It's like every, like around like five o'clock on some random afternoon, Sham Strania or, or Adrian Wojnarowski will just tweet out some awards. We don't know when MVP is coming. That'll, that, you know, will be Giannis, we think at some point, but uh, Giannis, of course, the defensive player of the year leads first team, all defense. He's joined by Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, Marcus Smart, second team, Eric Bledsoe, not not the greatest timing for that to come out. Uh, Patrick <laughs> Beverly was the other guard. Kawhi Leonard, Bam Adebayo, and Brooke Lopez. So the Milwaukee Bucks land three players on the all-defensive team. Um, any any initial reactions to this? I, I think for the most part, it was about what people expected. I mean, I was taken aback uh, at first by some of the positional designations on the first team, seeing Giannis Davis and Rudy Gobert uh, all squeezed into that front court. Right, and I was a little... 
it was weird seeing Kawhi on the second team. Yeah. Um, I can understand like how it happened. Like you mentioned, based on positional designation, and Anthony Davis was going to be higher up in defensive player of the year voting, so Kawhi wasn't going to get in over him. Still, I would rather have Kawhi than Anthony Davis as, on offense and on defense. Um, so that was that was a little strange. But other than that, I don't really have any like strong takes for it. Other than, like you mentioned, the Bucks had three players combined on both teams. They're the first team to do that since 2012-13. The Grizzlies had on Tony Allen, Mike Conley, and Marcus Gasol that year. But I, I was thinking it would have been the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> after like the essential defensive meltdown the Bucks had in the playoffs, it, it does not feel does not feel correct. Yeah, it, it sure doesn't. Like I said, kind of odd timing, um, or at least unfortunate timing for the Bucks, but. You know, I, I think it was deserving. You know, I, I think Eric Bledsoe, certainly during the regular season, uh, was among the best defensive guards in the league. He, he still was even in the postseason. I, I think the focus, uh, especially after game five, in which he, he really struggled again on Tuesday night, um, the focus has been on how disappointing he's been offensively. But um, on, on the defensive end of the floor, he's been completely fine. I, I don't have many qualms either. I, you know, I, you and I put a lot of stock into all NBA teams. We do a lot of debating about that throughout the year, but all defense to me, um, you know, I, I don't put nearly the same amount of thought into it. Other news items, the LA Clippers finally in a process that seems to have been ongoing really since Steve Ballmer took over the team many years ago. Uh, they have final approval to build their new arena in Inglewood. Uh, so as of now, and we'll, we'll see, I mean, these timelines always seem to shift, but as of now, this arena will open in 2024 that coincides with the Clippers lease at the Staples Center ending. So uh, 2021 is when they'll officially break ground on this project. It's estimated to be north of a billion dollars. Not surprising considering who's behind it. But uh, we're moving closer and closer to, I guess, all 30 teams now having their own building, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of feels overdue uh, in terms of the the Clippers moving out, mm -hmm. kind of getting rid of that like little brother stigma that they have, right. which they've basically gotten rid of through their roster, having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So um it's really only a matter of time before like the full rebuild revamp rebrand i guess is is complete and then the biggest piece of news uh by far this broke right right around the end of the bucks game coincidentally uh billy donovan will not be returning to the oklahoma city thunder next season it it, it was phrased by Woj that you know both sides have decided against pursuing an extension my guess is that OKC would have happily taken Billy Donovan back next season, especially on how, you know, based on how this season turned out. I think they were one of the teams and especially among the teams that, you know, aren't aren't some young rebuilding team like Memphis. They were among the teams that really exceeded expectations. And despite losing in game seven in round one, as we talked about last week, this season was a massive success for them either way. So I, I think Donovan would have been welcome back uh, reading between the lines. I think this kind of officially spells the end of this current era for OKC, which has kind of been dwindling since Durant left, since Russell Westbrook left. It seems like, you know, they're finally going to clean house uh, officially this this offseason, whenever that offseason does take place, whenever teams are allowed to make these transactions. I would guess that OKC goes, you know, full on asset acquisition mode, already adding to that war chest of assets that they have. That probably means Gallinari's gone. That means Chris Paul could be you know on the trade block Stephen Adams as well um so the implication is that Billy Donovan basically did not want to stick around and shepherd that rebuild right yeah it, it it does signal the rebuild that he's not coming back especially the way that 
you know, it was reported. Um, and it sounds like, you know, there are going to be teams interested, interested, at least the Bulls will be, um, according to Woj, which I guess isn't too surprising, but they should probably be interested in almost everybody because almost anybody would be an upgrade over Jim Boylan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, we are it, we are definitely going to see, you know, the rebuild um, in OKC, which people have been kind of it, it was fun to see them compete like this in the playoffs. It was fun to see Chris Paul um, kind of carry this team and lead them and see the young guys get some experience. But um, I'll be I'm, I'm just as interested to see where he goes and where Gallo goes and what happens to Stephen Adams and, and all that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think it's it's the rare rebuild that makes sense, I guess, for both sides. You know, I, I think OKC, if you're that fan base, you you probably at this point almost want to push for the rebuild as fun as this year was, as well as the Chris Paul experiment worked out. I mean, you had a fantastic decade plus with Kevin Durant and James Harden for part of it and Russell Westbrook for a large chunk of it. Um, it's never fun to go through a rebuild, but when you have a young player in SGA to build around, when you have some great assets, you know, coming from the Paul George trade, uh, the ability to acquire even more assets by dealing guys like Paul and Adams. Um, it's, it's, it should be an exciting rebuild, I guess, to be a part of, as opposed to so many of like the forced rebuilds that we've seen for teams like right. the Cavs over the years, you know, where it's not really this complete teardown to build back up. It's a complete teardown because you had no other choice. Right. And they have a good, they have a good piece with SGA and, and plenty mm-hmm. of picks to, to work with. Where are you at on SGA? by the way, in, in terms of him just as a prospect, you know, I, I know it's kind of a, an ambiguous question, but, um, you know, year, two years in scored the ball even better this year than he did last year. And in terms of points per game, efficiency took a little bit of a hit, but obviously he was forced into a tough spot playing alongside Chris Paul. Um, you know, where, where are you in terms of like, can he be, is he a future, like number one guy, two, three, four years down the road? I'm not sure. I mean, we didn't see the ball. He he wasn't tasked with a ton of playmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw his assist like didn't really take a, a jump at all. Um, and so, I mean, the fact that he can score this well, this young, you know, is is a really good sign. I'm not sold on him as a number one guy, but if you can average, you know, basically 20 points a game at his age uh, in the backcourt, like that's that's really good. And so, I mean maybe he i i feel like he's he's on the trajectory of like an all-star right like he should at least make an all-star game and i think that's probably the expectation Mm. but i wouldn't i wouldn't label him as like a this is our this is who we expect to be our absolute number one guy moving forward he's he's just such a weird player for me to evaluate you know because most of the young guards the young star guards that are putting up almost 20 points per game in their second season that come in are you know, these ball dominant guys who can shoot off the dribble, can shoot from 30 feet, you know, are putting up huge assists, huge rebound numbers. And given the situation that he's been in, I feel like we still don't know, like maybe he is capable of having those nights. But when you're, you know, kind of in a, I know he started most of the year as a rookie with the Clippers, but on that team, you know, he was never really the featured guy. And that was certainly the case again this year, playing alongside Chris Paul. I think next year is going to tell us a lot. I mean, I, I don't think the Thunder depending on what they do and who they bring back in these prospective trades probably won't be all that good of a team, but I think we're going to get to see at least next year, like a better look at what his ceiling is, especially as the, the lead guy, because chances are they're going to bring back some nice pieces if they do execute the trades that we're talking about. But I don't know if you're necessarily going to get one singular piece who's better right now than SGA. 
Right. And he, he kind of plays more like a wing almost like he's six, five, really long. He's, you know, points and rebounds, 1.1 steals, 0.7 blocks. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of decide this, he's definitely a secondary ball handler or whether they'll try at least for, you know, one season, why not to just really put the ball in his hands and, you know, say, go out there and try to get yourself six or seven assists and see what happens. Is there a spot for Billy Donovan that you like? I, I know Woj added to his initial report and said the Bulls will likely have interest. Uh, I saw some people throwing around the Knicks, who obviously have a coach, but you know may have been interested. Billy Donovan is a is a Long Island guy. Uh, had they known he'd been available, but I, I think Chicago would make a ton of sense. I mean, that's a job that is still kind of technically a rebuild, but based on what we think this OKC roster will look like in a few months, you know, probably going to be a better situation than he would have found himself in in 2020. 2021 with with OKC yeah I think I mean well that depends right if he doesn't want to be a part of the rebuild it depends on how he looks at Chicago because mm-hmm. you can look at Chicago and say there are people who are going to be looking look at the Bulls roster and say well this is still basically a rebuild and there are going to be people who look at the Bulls roster and say you know the struggles they've had the past couple of years are really due to injuries and bad coaching and that they're you know they should be better than like the Orlando Magic for example um so I would like to see him there because I have I'm probably higher on on Chicago than calling them a rebuilding team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean he has plenty of he's coached he's coached KD Westbrook he's won plenty of playoff games so at least if he goes into that locker room, I feel like the the guys will respect him. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to be you know arguably the hottest name on the market based on how the second half of of this season went for OKC and. It's already a, a really rich coaching market right now. I mean, Ty Lu, Jason Kidd, guys who are basically in contention for every job that comes up over the last couple of years, they're still free agents as well. Um, and who knows? I mean, we might still see another completely random Steve Nash type of hiring somewhere. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of who that like. So is somebody just going to hire like Luke Ridnauer out of nowhere? We have no idea if he's interested. That would be incredible. The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. All right, let's get to Bucks Eat. Uh, this is going to be a long one. I, I think we have a lot to say, not only about this series, about game five, but then digging into what comes next, particularly for the Bucks. I mean, we can look ahead to, <clears throat> excuse me, we can look ahead to the Eastern Conference Finals and what might await the Miami Heat. But 
I, I think a lot of the the attention um, coming into this game and, and certainly after the final buzzer was focused on on Milwaukee falling short in pretty horrific fashion. You know, I, I think they they looked shaky early on in the bubble. They looked shaky for the most part against Orlando, but even after losing game one, if you if you had told you know Bucks supporters this season is going to end in five games and you know you're going to go out with a whimper. You know, Giannis injury aside, um, it really didn't seem like that mattered all that much. Like even if Giannis had been cleared to play for this in this game, and even if he had played well and been at 100, percent I think very early on in this series, you just kind of lost the the feeling that the Bucks were the superior team and and the team that should have more confidence. Yeah, 100. Um, percent The Heat, you know, the Heat were the I don't even know if they were like a sneaky upset. A lot of people thought like you know they the they the Heat played the Bucks really well throughout the season. And this could be a tough matchup for the Bucks. Five games is obviously a completely different story. But I think there's, like you alluded to, a lot of reasons this went wrong. And obviously credit to the Miami Heat, who like have been incredible uh, throughout the playoffs and sweeping Indiana, getting through the Bucks in five games. Um, they, I think rightly so, are the third favorites to win the title right now. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, there's some questions with Budenholzer. Giannis's decision making was pretty suspect at some times like I I looked into this and this is before game five so games one through four Bud's second most used lineup in the playoffs was George Hill Dante DiVincenzo Pat Connaughton Kyle Korver Giannis that was the lineup he turned to the second most and that makes zero sense to me that lineup is a combination I thought I would that would never see postseason minutes right and it was it was horrible, by the way. It was minus 52 points per 100 possessions. Like, god-awful. Yeah. Um, And so, like, just some confusing stuff from him on why he didn't just pound the starting five, play those guys 35, 40 minutes a game um, consistently. I mean, he did towards the end of the series, but, like, it was, it was mm-hmm. too late by then. I tweeted out this stat uh, after, I think it was game two or maybe even game three, it when LeBron was the same age as Giannis, you know, somebody who's comparable in terms of stardom, in terms of ability at that age, uh, that was his first year in Miami, the year they lost to Dallas. In that playoff run, he played at least 39 minutes in all 21 playoff games and had at least 42 minutes in 16 of the 21 games. Like, that's just normal. That's been normal forever. You know, if you go back and look at Moses Malone, Charles Barkley, guy, you know, Julius Irving, whoever it is, guys go all the way back to the 70s and the 80s, Guys are playing huge minutes in the playoffs and oftentimes in the regular season back then. And I, obviously there's been a, a renewed eth- emphasis over the last couple of decades in in not running guys into the ground. But, you know, Giannis himself had said it. I, I think it was after game three. Like, I I feel fine. I, I was ready to play more. And that was the game when he initially rolled his ankle. You know, I mean, it, I think the most frustrating thing with Budenholzer is is just that there's not been a lot of accountability and I think that's really rubbed people the wrong way. Um, you know, I, I remember saying last year after they they went up 2-0 on Toronto, it really felt like they lost the exact same game four times in a row in games three, four, five, right. and six. They they were beat the exact same way. The game flow was very similar. The lineups were similar. The game plan was similar. And it was just like, you know, after you lose the first one, it's like, all right, maybe that was a one-off. You lose the second one, okay, you make some adjustments. Those adjustments just never came. And they, it just seemed like Bud was just content to go down with the ship as it was and, you know, you, you would hope that the 2019 postseason would would teach a lesson to to be a little bit more versatile, to be a little bit more open to uh, to other ideas. And 
to kind of see that exact same situation happen again. And, you know, you can't really hold game five against the Bucks with no Giannis, but the lack of adjustments um, and just some of the there's there's been like there's basically been a consensus on on Twitter and in basketball circles. When you listen to podcasts, when you read articles, it's like Bud seems to kind of be on an island with some of these things. Right. In terms of playing Pat Connaughton and Kyle Corford together, playing Dante DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton together. Like there's no evidence whatsoever that those are productive duos or productive lineups. And yet the Bucks coaching staff seems to be the only believers in them. Right. And yeah, Bud is someone who is uh, the system that he has in place. He is he believes in to a fault. I think there is no perfect basketball system like some like he's tried. D'Antoni is someone who's tried like the perfect system. And frankly, like D'Antoni's way closer to like the quote unquote perfect system than uh, than Bugenholzer is. And he like just doesn't change, you know, he, he he won't change the defensive scheme at all. He won't change. And and it's it's something where like Nick part of the reason Nick Nurse won coach of the year is because he was so flexible throughout the year, tried different stuff, can beat you in different ways. And that's something Bud has just never it's just not something he does. The Bucks didn't really experiment with switching enough to take it seriously. On defense, they didn't try too many like different ways of running an offense they run the same like three sets all game um and so when, when other teams get in a playoff series in them and they know 100 percent the bucks are not going to change what they do they become way easier to play against right and we saw that time and time again um in this series i, I think offensively and defensively you know some of the <clears throat> the matchups or the lack of, of matching up, you know, with Wes Matthews on Jimmy Butler at times in this series, who, you know, early on, especially Matthews had kind of had his way on the defensive end with Jimmy Butler. And then, you know, Bud just inexplicably pulls Matthews off of him late in the game. And, and Butler, you know, kind of single-handedly wins game one for Miami. And I, I think that really set the tone for the entire series. That's where it really felt like Milwaukee had lost his confidence because the Bucks played really well early in that first quarter. I think they put up 40 plus points in, in the first quarter of game one. And, you know, it looked like they had maybe kind of exercised some of those demons from that rough start against Orlando. But it just you know, even going back to the seeding games, it, it's not all on Bud, but this team just never really looked like the same team that we saw during the regular season. And, and Giannis said after game five on Tuesday that, you know, he thinks the the lack of a crowd, the lack of travel, the lack of a home court hurt Milwaukee more than any other team. I think that's that's totally reasonable. You know, I know LeBron has has taken some criticism for saying similar things about the Lakers, but the Lakers and the Bucks are the two teams that that are hurt by this most. And you know, when the other teams are facing the same disadvantages, it's hard to say that's the only reason. But um, you know, it's it's very clear that Milwaukee, maybe more so than other teams, uh, kind of fed off that advantage. And and it, it really never felt like they put together, you know, even two consecutive games where they looked like the team that was just running through the entire league from you know, late October through the end of March. Yeah. I mean, Philly was another team that was dominant at home and we saw what happened to them in the playoffs. Like I know they didn't have Ben Simmons, but even their, I mean, what they did in the playoffs was also like just horrible. Um, so right. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know if that's like the best. I don't, I don't know if people will really at the end of the day or when people look back on this, will really put like a ton of stock. I guess maybe, I don't know how much into the, into the, you know, the bubble itself. Um, well, where would you place the blame personally? Like if you were making like a, a hierarchy of who is most to blame here, whether it's coaching staff, individual players, um, you know, outside factors, like how would you rank it? 
Um, I think, I mean, I th- I think it probably starts with Bud, but the decision to you know not bring Malcolm Brogdon back was also kind of a turning point. And I didn't even entirely disagree with it at the time because he he was and still is a you know an injury risk. Um, and I understand not wanting to commit a ton of money to him, but there's only so much you can do in the NBA with the way salaries line up and and how the financials work. Um, I think I think Bud just needs to be more flexible. I think for me that's number one, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure exactly where it falls in line after that. But I'm, I don't put the I don't put the bubble itself very high on that list, honestly. I, I think it's a good sign for Bucks fans and you know, the organization that obviously wants to re-sign Giannis to the Supermax or to a long-term deal, I think it's a good sign that not a lot of the blame seems to have been focused on Giannis, where situations like this in the past where, you know, LeBron or Kevin Durant would fall short in the playoffs, I don't remember a lot of the blame being placed on Scott Brooks or uh, Mike Brown. You know, there there were some, but it was, it was, it was mostly, you know, LeBron came up short, Durant came up short. And I mean, based on what I've seen, it's been like 80-20 in favor of the co- of coaching and and even some of the other players like Bledsoe and, and George Hill, who was really bad in this series. Um, most of it is, has stayed away from Giannis. Maybe that's because, you know, people on Twitter especially are, are aware that, that you know, you, you kind of don't want to poke the bear in this situation. Um, but I, does Giannis deserve a decent amount of criticism here for, for being the number one guy now two regular seasons in a row? He's going to be back-to-back MVP. Um Obviously, the injury changed things in this series, but but like I said at the top, even if Giannis stays healthy, based on what we saw in games one through three, I, I just don't know how you could be like super confident that with a healthy Giannis, the Bucks are able to scrape their way back into the series. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Giannis is is blameless at all. I think he he, he can't. Okay, he he needs to be. He can't shoot fifty four percent from the free throw line. Right. That's one thing. Now, guys have. <clears throat> I mean, guys, basically Shaq, Shaq got away with stuff like that. Um, but again, like you, you need to surround him with, I don't know, man, like his decision-making was also bad. Giannis's the amount of, I'm not mad that he took three and a half threes per game in the series. And that number is kind of deflated by him playing only 12 minutes in, in game four, but like the contested, the contested threes make no sense to me. Like the Bucks' offense is all about, you know, swinging the ball around, getting an open three, trying to get a shot at the rim. Like when, whenever Giannis or even Eric Bledsoe, for that matter, like takes a pull up three in transition, like semi covered. I don't understand what the point of that was. Mm-hmm. And I know Giannis, maybe he's trying to get the team going. Maybe he's trying to get himself going. But that's, you know, that's like if he does that three times a game, that's so many. That's, you know, potentially nine points. Like that he's just giving up and these games are like, should be close, like that close. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's completely blameless. I mean, some of this, again, I think Bugenholzer has to put him in better positions to succeed, like around the basket. I think you have to try to get young as the ball in close because mm-hmm. the heat, when he drives, they, they, they form a wall, they cut him off. So you have to find other ways to get him in there. But Giannis also isn't a great post player, which is something he also, I think is more important to improve than his three point shooting. But, that's a whole nother rant. Right. Yeah, there, there was a good piece by Tim Bontemps that went up after after game five on Tuesday night. And he had a quote from, I think it was an Eastern Conference scout or an assistant coach who who had asked, you know, what has Giannis really improved over the last two years? 
And, you know, I, I think that's a little bit of a loaded question. I mean, he's going to be the reigning two-time MVP. So obviously he's, he's been fine, but you know, the free throw percentage, like you brought up, uh, the jumper really, really hasn't improved. It's, it's just become more streaky. You know, it's, it's improved compared to where it was three or four years ago, but when you're judging it on NBA superstar scale, it's still not all that reliable at all, as we saw in this series. Um, I, I think the big problem is if one team, and and we'll get to this in a second, but if one team can can basically throw a defense at you that that breaks your entire offense, I think that's a problem, right? I don't I don't think there are a lot of you know guys you consider a top five or six player in the league who could just be completely shut down in a way like that uh, that 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 breaks a team's offense without a team just like completely selling out. You know, like we've seen. We've seen teams just play these kind of gimmicky defenses against James Harden um, and, you know, throw two guys at him at all times and and basically make the the rest of the Bucks beat you. I don't really feel like that's what Miami was doing, right? It was more like we're going to take away, you know, the things that Giannis does really well. We're not necessarily trying to force him to, you know, or force us to play three on four with the rest of the team. It was more just like we're just, we're just going to shut him down and it's going to throw everything off. And it's, it was just really jarring to see that happen. Um, and it happened during the regular season. I think there was this belief that in the playoffs, things would just, you know, be different. And, and maybe that's another lesson for the Bucks coaching staff is, you know, these, these games against Miami looked a lot like the games against Miami in the regular season. Right. And that comes back to the adjustment thing, right? Like you, like generally talent should weigh out, but like that also comes with the idea of you have to put your, the talented players in the best position to succeed possible. Right. And I don't think, I don't think Bug was doing that. So at the end of the day, you know, one thing that I think isn't isn't necessarily pointed out enough is like is this Bucks team talented enough to win a title, regardless of who the number one guy is? You know, like if you swap out Giannis for Kawhi or Giannis for LeBron, do you do you feel like the Bucks are are then a title team? Like is it is it possible that the talent around him just isn't quite good enough? Um I think it's good enough. But it it is pretty top heavy, which, again, comes down to the minutes thing where like I really I really trust Chris Middleton. He was awesome in these playoffs. He was awesome um, against Miami. I, for the most part, trust Brooke Lopez. Um, but he was, other than he was that, good in this series. He was not great against Orlando, yeah. but he held his own against Miami. Yeah. But other than that, obviously, I don't really trust Bledsoe. Um, George Hill is fine. Wes Matthews is fine. But again, these are guys who I think ideally would be playing closer to like 20-ish minutes a game in the playoffs. Um, like, you know, you wouldn't be playing Congaton at all in an ideal world. Right, um, right. Corver would barely, barely be playing in an ideal world. So I think it's, it it can do it. Like, I think, I think the roster is, it's capable of winning a title. But again, it's just a lot of guys who, I'm not sure if they mesh well or it just, it it's not like a ton of confidence. Like I can't say a hundred percent that this is definitely the the makeup that can do it. I, I feel like some of the lower end guys, when you get outside of Giannis and Middleton, is a I mean, I shouldn't even say lower end, basically outside of those two, they don't have like the Lou Williams guy who's gonna give you twenty five on a given night and and win you a playoff game, you know, like he did in, in one of those round one games against Dallas. They just don't have that guy. Like they have they have some very very good, but very low ceiling rotation players. Yeah. I think Wes Matthews fits that bill. DiVincenzo, Connaughton, George Hill, even like 
they, they just need guys who can who can play make and score a little bit better they have a lot of role players who are good at the little things um i know you you wrote in our notes you know they have like a lot of like frisky guys on the roster a lot of like guys that coaches love and i, I think that's true but at the end of the day you're not you're never going to have a game where pat Connaughton just like goes off for 30 you know like all those guys need to be set up to do what they do and when your best player is being stifled or when your best player is out with an ankle injury it's really hard to expect those guys to do more than than what they've kind of been trained to do playing with the honest it's kind of the same effect i think that we've seen year after year after year with role players that play with lebron all of a sudden lebron misses a game and nobody knows what to do yeah the bucks don't really have a pure playmaker no like Giannis is really good, but he's not. He's still not really a playmaker. He's not really a point guard. Middleton is good. He's a good passer. Again, not really a playmaker. He's not someone who drives to the rim, really. Bledsoe is okay, but he never finishes any... Whenever there's anyone else near the rim, he does not make his layups. So, I, they... You know, and this is kind of like how LeBron and Kyrie made sense together. Because there was an alternate playmaker who could get to the basket, who could create open shots for his teammates, who could make, you know, tough baskets like mid-rangers right. and stuff like that. And I think the Bucks are kind of down that guy. And I'm not saying that Middleton is definitely a third piece, mm-hmm. but it feels like he's somewhere between a two and a three to me. And that's really yep. tough, like financially, because you're paying him like he's a two. I think that's well said. And I think he can be a two depending on who your three is and he could be a three depending on who your two is you know like he's he has to be a two for this team i don't think that that's ideal you know i, I don't think that you know if your third guy is like i don't know tobias harris you know chris middleton's like slightly better than tobias harris i think or, or probably yeah. Yeah, a decent a decent amount better but you know tobias harris is a guy who has considerably more upside offensively than anyone else that the bucks currently have yeah like that's a nice one one two three but there's such a big drop off from two to three on this roster and, and i know you know bledsoe and brooke lopez are are great defensive players. We just talked about them making the second team all defense team. But, you know, in terms of night-to-night consistency, there's nobody on this roster who you can just count on to give you 20 and 8 every single night. And, you know, obviously you'd love to go out and get Bradley Beal or, you know, Chris Paul is a name that's been tossed around. One, that's a lot easier said than done when you start to look at the money. And two, I I don't necessarily feel like the Bucs are, like, another superstar away. Like, yeah, it'd be great if you could go, go get Paul George. But, it feels like they're just another like they're just one more like high quality player away, not even a role player, maybe a high quality like fringe all star player away. When when your number one is is the best player in the league, you can get away with not having like, like a completely stacked top three. Yeah, I feel like they they kind of have to ask the question every night of like who's going to be the third guy, mm-hmm. and like that's not that's not the worst. Like the Lakers kind of also have to ask that question, yes. right? Like after LeBron and AD, like who's going to be the third guy tonight? And there are plenty of other teams that do well that don't really know who their third guy is going to be. But with the Bucks, it does not feel like, you know, there is a chance that all of those guys flop. And right. then you're just kind of, you're just hung out to dry. And the difference between the Bucks and the Lakers, I, I like that comp with LeBron and Davis. I think their supporting casts beyond that are pretty similar. Um, but the difference is like Davis is so much better than Middleton, you know, and, <laughs> right. and Middleton was in a tough spot. As, as obviously the number one guy, the guy who Miami knew was going to be kind of doing everything in game five, but eight of 25 from the field, six turnovers, ends up fouling out of that game. Uh, a, a pretty rough end for him. But I mean, I, I think in terms of like the one player who's going to be viewed as the culprit more than anybody is, is obviously Eric Bledsoe, who, uh, man, was, was fine defensively in this game. I mean, we, we also have to know, like Miami was unbelievably sloppy 
for the entirety of this game, especially early on. They, they had like seven turnovers, it felt like, in the first like three minutes of the game, just throwing the ball all over the place. They end with 21 turnovers. Uh, so some of like the steal numbers for the Bucks are a little bit inflated because of the carelessness. But for Eric Bledsoe, I mean, this was the ultimate, you know, kind of save your reputation or your reputation is on the line type of game for him. Um, and to go two of 12 to miss some of the, the layups that he was missing in this game to make some of the decisions that he made a, another very poor shooting night from three for Eric Bledsoe, just one of four. Um, I mean, this was, you know, just kind of a, a bow on. Uh, what what's turning into like one of, maybe going to be one of like the all time bad decisions. And it's not as clean cut as should you have kept Bledsoe or Brogdon? You know, there are a lot of other factors uh, in that decision, but man, if, if Giannis ultimately ends up leaving and you start to look at why the Bucks had, you know, kind of a lack of, of flexibility or lack of ability to improve around him, it kind of begins and ends with that Bledsoe extension. So in not counting game five, because the stats aren't technically in yet, on basketball reference, but in 30 playoff games for the Bucks, Bledsoe is averaging 13 points on 42% shooting, 25% from three, 73% from the free throw line, and four and a half assists to 2.3 turnovers, and also a steal and half a block. That's awful. awful. Like, that's not, that is not a starter. Like, that is not a starting caliber player. And it's not even someone who, if you just read those stats off, and we're like, hey, we're thinking about adding this guy. His past 30 playoff games are 13 points on 42% shooting and like four rebounds and four assists. You'd be like, are you joking? Like, is that Jeff Green? Like, <laughs> yes. Is that signing Jeff Green? Jeff, we're signing Jeff Green to be our number three. All right. 70 million. Okay. Yeah. And I know Bledsoe is all defensive second team. It, I it, I don't think it makes up enough for that. Like, it's no. it's so clear in these series. Like, you watch Bucks Heat and you're like, Tyler Hero is better than Eric Bledsoe. Like, it's not even a question. Yeah. Like, so th- that's rough when you're like, you know, there are guys on the other team who it's like, it's clear cut. Like, you would obviously take them over, over Bledsoe. Um, yeah, it's, it's rough. So two more years guaranteed on that extension. Um, and then there's, there's an option for, for the year after that. So, I mean, it's, it's not like crippling and the money's not unbelievable. You know, it comes out to, you know, roughly like a little over 20 per season, which compared to some of the maxes that you see now, isn't that bad. But I mean, it, after an, yet another, you know, very poor showing in the playoffs, which has kind of become his calling card, you know, he's not going to be somebody you have to like attach a pick to, to get rid of, but he's, I don't, I don't, think sure? I don't, I don't think so. Not necessarily. I, it depends where you're trading him, I guess. But my point is that I don't think he's a team that or an asset that other teams are seeking out. You know, like if you're going to try to trade for Chris Paul, I don't think the Thunder are like, well, you better include Eric Bledsoe. It's like, well, we have to for salary reasons. But there's not a team out there who's just like really trying to get their hands on Eric Bledsoe right now. And that's a pretty big problem. And if they would, it would be like some basically contender that needs him for like 15 minutes on defense not someone to play him 30 minutes in a playoff game. Right. Like and that most, team, most contending teams don't have $25 million laying around to throw at that guy. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it, we talked about a lot of the blame being placed on, on Budenholzer. Is firing Budenholzer a realistic outcome? Uh, I think it would take like Giannis, like walking up to John horse office and be like, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with uh bot anymore. Other than that, I think they would keep him. I think his overall his his track record is too good. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, he and his the coaching staff and maybe 
ownership or, or John Hoish can like talk to him and be like, we, we can't do this again. Right. Like this cannot happen one more time. And I think, I think if this, we need you to put this in writing that you will not play these two together. <laughs> it's like when Andrew Wiggins promised he would play better before they right. had him sign the max contract. Yeah. So and he did totally he, worked out. <laughs> He's still on the team. I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's what it comes down to is it's, it's hard for me to imagine them not giving him basically one more shot. And I think if, if close to this same thing happens again, that he'll be gone. That's my guess. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if he comes back and the same thing happens next year, I think that's, I mean, he's for he sure, get, for sure gone. He get fired mid series. Yeah. Well, I, I think if, if he comes back and I, I think he will, I, I think, I think what it comes down to and what a lot of coaching moves come down to is just like, uh, you know, the opportunity cost of like, what, right. It, what are, what do you, there. what do you have to gain? Like how much can you really gain? You know, unless, unless Greg Popovich comes to you and says, I want to coach this team, I think maybe then you'd consider it, which would be insane. Cause I, I think Bud is a, a pop disciple. So that would just be, right. you know, be really quite a power funny. play from yeah. quite a power play from Pop, but I wouldn't put it past <laughs> him. You know, like, it, it, I don't know, like how many other coaches would you, would you really feel like could get this team over the hump? You know, I think the the belief among Bucks fans right now is like, we'd be better off without any coach and the players just decide the minutes themselves, which right. <laughs> based on some of those rotations, like maybe that is true, but it's not like Bud hasn't maxed out this team. You know, like they've been so good during the regular season. I, I don't think any new coach that you bring in, it's hard to imagine this team looking any better. And it, you know, it would be all about the playoffs, I guess. And at that point, obviously Bud has proven that there are some issues there, but if the players believe in him, if the organization still believes in him and, and they respect him, I just I don't think you can do a whole lot better, I guess, is my point. It, it would be very risky to bring in a new voice and and kind of risk alienating Giannis and and really, you know, the rest of this roster, which for the most part seems to get along really well and obviously played extremely well together for 90 percent of the season. Yeah, 100 percent. I think all the coaches that you would be interested in are already they're already right. hired by someone else. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm trying to think if there's, you know, even like a, a Jay Wright at Villanova or, you know, some high profile college coach, it, it just, no matter who it is, it would just be, it would just seem too risky. I, I don't think there's a coach out there with the type of playoff track record, you know, other than like pop or Phil Jackson, which obviously, you know, is, is not realistic. Phil Jackson. Well, I mean, yeah, if the Bucks hire Phil Jackson, that might be the final straw. I'm just saying like, there's not <laughs> other than pop. Like, I don't know who else, you, who else you would really feel more comfortable with. You know, maybe if, if Spo was willing to jump from, from Miami to Milwaukee, you'd take that, but we, we should um, start Photoshopping Eric Spolstra into like Bucks polos and posting that on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know where it goes. I think Bud's back is, is my final point. Um, so are the Bucks the new, the new like mid 2010s Raptors or the new late 2000s Cavaliers? Oh, it's, I think it's the Cavaliers. I think so right. too. I think cause with the Raptors, like you, you never really felt like they were all that good. It, it felt like the only people who really thought they were that good were the Raptors and the Raptors fans. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like every, everybody's been in on the Bucks you know, these last couple of years and like the numbers never really favored Toronto. It was always just like, well, they technically are the one seed, but with Milwaukee, it's, it has felt more like those Cavs teams where you really expected them at some point to get over the hump. And I think that another way that it mirrors the Cavs too, is like, it's not like those teams were, were getting to the finals every year. Like they were, they were consistently playing really well, throwing up 60 plus win seasons and then losing in the second or the third round, you know, not even making it out of their conference. Yeah. The, the Bucks went, the Bucks transition from like, should we like, 
how good is this team with Giannis to I don't even care what they do in the regular season. They have to prove it in the playoffs. That transition was so fast where even it was like this year that people are like, yeah, we get it. The Bucks are good. Let's see what they do in the playoffs. Like it's yeah. such a such a quick transition. And that's how it was with the Cavs. You know, right. it was like, well, we know LeBron's good. We know he's going to win 60. We're not we're just going to watch his highlights and enjoy until the playoffs come and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, it makes for a very long season. That's for sure. Yeah, does, and I, I think and I think next season is going to be a slog for a number of reasons uh, for Milwaukee. Unless, of course, Giannis does sign the Supermax, which he is eligible for this offseason. Again, the dates keep being pushed back for for eligibility for these things. But at some point, the Bucks will offer it this offseason. He'll have a chance to sign it. Um, I'll, I see this kind of being yet another case where a star player probably declines the initial Supermax offer just because you, you give up so much leverage and with the way that the salary cap should eventually increase, you know, there might be a, a few years of, of stagnation because of coronavirus, but it should continue at some point to go up and up. You know, we've, we've seen it with so many players, you know, I, I what is, what is the like acceptance rate on the Supermax right now? Like 10%. I feel like everybody's declined it, right? Like I think Lillard took it. It's pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's because like, yeah, it's a huge financial windfall, but you give up all of your leverage. And by the time you're supermax eligible, you're usually, you know, a little bit later in your career. Giannis is, is somewhat of a unique case being as good as, as he is at this age. But, you know, you sign that supermax, you pretty much, you, you sign away your leverage for the next five or six years. So we've seen guys who have money off the court and who have already made a lot of money earlier in their careers. You know, I think the difference if, you know, right now based on the salary cap uh, projections would be, about $80 million, you know, basically the Bucks can give Giannis $80 million more than, than another team could if he takes the Supermax. That's a ton of money to, to you and I, but I mean, we've seen case after case where players are just like, no, I'm good. I, I would rather try to make that money back, um, you know, over, over, over shorter term contracts and, and kind of bet on the salary cap increasing. Yeah. There's a point where the money gets so big that the guarantees don't matter as much. Yep. Um, and I think that's what we're just running into with the NBA at this point and sports in general. Have, I mean, the the salary inflation over the past, like maybe even five years, um, 10 years has been crazy. So, yeah, players will just value flexibility over guarantees at this point. My guess is Giannis goes the Durant route before he went to Golden State, where you know you kind of you sign a one plus one, kick the can down the road for a year or two, especially given the uncertainty. Uh, with the salary cap right now that was not present when Durant was making his decisions. You know, I, I think, you know, and that way you, you kind of get some of the pressure off of you, you get some of the pressure off the organization. Um, you know, you buy yourself a little bit more time and then you still maintain that flexibility uh, that you would be giving up. But the other thing too, is like, if he signs the Supermax, it's not like that's a guarantee that he's just in Milwaukee forever. You know, like he could sign the Supermax and then just two years later, you know, something changes, you know, the organization goes in a different direction. He doesn't like how it's going and he could ask out, you know, and at the end of the day, no matter how much money he's making a player like Giannis, if he requests a trade at age 29 is going to have a massive market. Right. Yeah. We kind of saw that happen with Paul George. Exactly. Right. Um, one thing we should know with the Bucks, Marvin Williams, just like randomly retired after the game, <laughs> like 10 minutes after the game. Um, Kind of the closest thing that we've seen to Avante Davis situation in the NBA. I think as soon as the buzzer hit, he announced his retirement. Um, not the second best player in that 2005 draft class. He was number two overall, of course. 
uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. But when you look at that 05 class, definitely not one of the more illustrious top to bottom classes in NBA draft history. It did give us Chris Paul. It did give us, uh, you know, the flaming light of Darren Williams until he uh, went to Brooklyn. But Marvin Williams, fourth in the class in win shares, ninth in value over replacement player. Um, by no means a disaster with the number two overall pick. Obviously not what you're looking for if you're the Atlanta Hawks. But, um, you know, hats off to Marvin Williams on a on a pretty productive career, uh, despite being somewhat labeled as a bust, I think, early on. Yeah, I think he I mean, I think he's 90th all time in games played um, at this point. Wow. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the kind of not a lot of guys have that kind of longevity where they're just playing 25 minutes for like, like their entire career. Right. Um, and he kind of found himself like, you know, into a role like he he was always he was around in Charlotte for a long time, like four or five years, like just kind of chugging along again, like 25 minutes a game, 10 points. Um, that's harder to do than people like realize. People probably aren't going to give him a ton of credit for that. But there are so few guys that can like maintain that role. I think he is the most like league average player of all time. Right. <laughs> like never somebody Europe's like when the Bucks traded for him, you're like, all right, I kind of like this. And if you're, if you were the jazz in like 2013, when they signed him, you're probably pretty hyped. Um, like you said, spent a lot of time in Charlotte. Like he was never a guy that teams were looking to unload. Um, I mean, when he went from Charlotte to Milwaukee this season, that was the first time that he ever switched teams mid season, his entire career. So he was basically a guy that wherever he went, he was filling out his contract and teams were not looking to move on at any point. Like, I, I think when you're the number two pick, it, it comes with, with certain expectations, but, um, you know, for his career, I, I think he, he turned into a really, really, really strong role player and, and a guy who, I mean, his best season, he, he did, he did give you like 15 and six on, on pretty solid efficiency. You know, we're talking like 2007, 08 for a terrible Hawks team, but, um, yeah, a, an interesting career. Nonetheless, I do want to spend a little more time on the 05 draft just because I love looking back at these, <laughs> When you look at value over replacement on basketball reference, obviously CP is number one by a mile. He has like 60 more VORP points than Darren Williams. Then it's Lou Williams, David Lee, Danny Granger, Andrew Bogut, Marcin Gortat, Monte Ellis, Marvin Williams. Would you take Marvin Williams' career over any of those guys above him? Um, maybe over Gortat, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, Gortat was pretty damn good for a couple years but i think it, it like consistency and longevity yeah yeah other than that i mean a lot of those guys kind of reached at least like reached you know those like peaks i i would value like the peaks over his longevity to some extent so like yeah. monte ellis even though he like disappeared within like a two-year period um i think his career i would probably take his over marvin's but yeah, same goes for Granger, same goes for Lee, guys who had pretty high peaks, I mean, all-star level peaks, and then, you know, it kind of fell off pretty quickly. And, you know, guys below him, you had like Raymond Felton, Andrew Bynum, um, guys who probably reached a little bit higher than him overall, but but again, fell off pretty consistently. Um, but yeah, that, that that's that's the book on, on Marvin Williams. Do you have anything to add there? I do not. Okay. Um, let's talk Rockets-Lakers. That game wrapped up as we've been recording. Um the Lakers kind of went on a defensive onslaught late in this game, um, you know, spearheaded midway through the fourth quarter by Rajon Rondo, hitting a couple of threes, making some plays on James Harden. Um, and then and then the Lakers really putting the clamps on Houston late in this game to to close out another victory and go up now 2-1 in the series. 
yeah, I was saying to you off air, I was saying to you on Slack before we started recording, I, I respect what the Lakers are doing defensively. They're all five guys are flying around the court at a level that we have not seen a LeBron James team fly around the court in many, many years. But in all the effort that they're exerting to to trap James Harden, you know, kind of midway through the shot clock in the series, it's been astounding, like how many open looks it's resulted in for the Rockets. And it, you know, it's worked over the last two games, I guess. But the Lakers gave up, I think, 22 made threes in game two. When the Rockets hit that many threes, they almost never lose. There's only one other game on the entire season where they've hit uh, more than 20 threes and lost. Well, the Rockets only made 12 threes today or Tuesday. Yeah. Um, 12 they only took 30. 30 too. Yeah, they only took 30. So that was that was key for them. And then they only shot 47 percent, not only 47 percent, but right. compared to the Lakers, 55 percent, obviously yep. drastically lower. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, AD, um, really strong game from him. 26 points on 13 shots, 15 rebounds for those offensive six assists. Uh, LeBron did most of his damage in the first half, but still ended up with 36 points. And, um, you know, they got, I mean, Rondo, listen, Rondo was awesome. He was, and I am, I am sick of the hate of Rondo. He had 21 points. Did you watch game one though? It was bad. Okay. Game one was really bad. This, this made up for it, but game one was bad. You have to admit that. True, but 21 points, nine assists, only three turnovers for Rondo. Um, he was excellent, and I think I mean you're not gonna get that every night from Rondo, but they it when he's out there running the offense without LeBron out there, compared to what the Lakers had to resort to before, it just it's so much better having someone who's just at least patient with the basketball, and <laughs> at the very least can just buy time until LeBron gets back on the court, like comfortably. And cause a lot of the guys in the Lakers get really, like really shot happy. So he can kind of control that aspect of it. But yep. um, I still expect the Lakers to win the series, but the, the Rockets are going to get more than 33s off next yep. game. So. Yeah. We'll I, I think, you know, the point I made about the Lakers defense, I mean, that was, some of that was carryover from game two, which yeah, I think they were a little bit more leaky on the defensive end than that one. But you look at the pace. I mean, this was as much as we talk about the Lakers being a great team in transition, which they are. They're not really a team that's necessarily looking to run at all times. They're, they're very selective with it. You know, it's when a guy falls down after a layup or something, then then they'll throw a pass to half court and kind of get yep. going from there. Like they're not really trying to run at all times. The pace in this game was 90.8. I mean, that is, that is a early 2000s NBA type of pace. Like the Rockets only had nine turnovers in this game. Like what it came down to is they just you know, they just didn't take that many shots. They only took 81 shots as a team. So, you know, yeah, when you look at it proportionally, 33s, 81 shots, like that is lower than normal. But for a team that's, you know, since they went to this small ball look, has consistently taken over 53s in a lot of games. Um, I think the Lakers defense does deserve a lot of credit for the effort they put in tonight. I, like you said, another great game from Anthony Davis, LeBron, was awesome in this one, especially defensively four blocks, all of which were, you know, pretty spectacular highlight type of plays only finished with 36 points. And I, I say only because he had 29 at the half and, you know, kind of started chucking some more threes in the second half and, and getting away from, from attacking the basket. But man, when you're, when you're getting a combined 62 points from LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, it doesn't really matter that, you know, the rest of your starters are only giving you eight points. 
Yep, and we're seeing a lot of Anthony Davis at center, too. Um, JaVale's the only center that's on minutes. He played seven minutes. So, you know, they're they're going, they're they're keeping him in the paint a lot of times to get those offensive rebounds. It seems to be working. Um, I, like, I can watch Anthony Davis get 26 and 15 and still be frustrated at how, like, uh, lack, like he's not very aggressive around the rim still. It mm-hmm. drives me insane. But um, it is the right move to play him at center. Uh, and this is, it's, you know, I think, I think you, you just have to, you have to continue to punish the the Rockets for, for, for going small. I feel the same way about AD, um, but he's, and this has been the case against Portland as well. I mean, he, he's been hitting consistently in the mid range, didn't take any threes in this game, but he's had some, some eruptions from three in the playoffs. I, I think ideally, like that's kind of the, the offensive profile you eventually want from Giannis, right? Where if somebody like a PJ Tucker or in, in his case, Bam Adebayo is, is there and really frustrating him and not letting him get to the rim and drawing offensive fouls. And all of a sudden he has two fouls, you know, at the end of the first quarter, you want him to have that ability to, to step back and have a smooth mid range jumper or a smooth jumper, ideally all the way out to three. And, and even though Davis can be frustrating, you know, his lack of physicality, that's what Giannis has that Davis doesn't. What Davis has that Giannis doesn't is that smoothness and that consistency with the jumper. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of closing thoughts on the Lakers. I mean, big shots late. You know, like you said, Rondo deserves a ton of credit, and he got it from Magic Johnson. I don't know if you saw his tweet. Uh, Magic <laughs> made sure to made sure to give a lot of credit to Jean Rondo for this one. Um, but like, I think one thing that is worth mentioning as we wrap up here: no Dwight Howard in each of the last two games. You know, we talk so much about how the Lakers are the team with all this size that can make teams, you know, make teams have to match up with them and. It is interesting that they've gone the other way with this. You know, they've, like you said, Anthony Davis played center almost this entire game. JaVale McGee played seven minutes. Dwight Howard has not played either the last two games. They've completely gone away from that style. And and I guess thus far it's worked. Yeah. I mean, it, it allows them to go, you know, I mean, Anthony Davis is, is great for this for, cause he can go five out also. He's been good from three this whole season. Um, he, I mean, he shot at least looks smooth and uh, he didn't take a three in this game, but again, he didn't, he didn't really have to, um, and it allows them to to just run. They can they can run and have size, which is something a lot of teams can't do. Because LeBron and Anthony Davis can both sprint out in the open court and, and be devastating. So they can. I mean, they're they're really, you know, as as much as we kind of knocked their role players earlier in the pod, they're very they're a lot more dynamic, um, or they can be very dynamic. All right, man, we're out of time for this week. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire NBA Show on Dash Radio's NBA channel. Remember to use our code dashrotowire.com slash dash. That'll give you 10 days of access to our site. We'll be back next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.